0: How about we don't try and make food perfect? Because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect.
1: If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces, and you don't have to be doing them perfectly.
0: The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order.
1: Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello,
0: and welcome back to the Unwasted Podcast. It's my honor every week to talk with experts in food, health, sustainability, and generally making the world a better, tastier place. Now, food allergies are surprisingly common in the U.S., and their prevalence is actually growing each year, where today, about 1 in 13 children has some form of food allergies, and a whopping 90% of food allergies come from just eight very common ingredients, Today's guest is an entrepreneur who founded a rapidly growing business that makes cookies that people with a wide range of food allergies can eat and enjoy. She's the founder and CEO of Partake Foods, and it's an honor to have her with us here today. Denise Woodard, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm really excited to have you here. I'll be honest up front that food allergies are something I know embarrassingly little about and I imagine some folks listening might be in a similar boat. So I'm hoping we can shatter some misconceptions and really dig into the nitty-gritty of what these allergies are and you know why they're such a problem and how they've kind of intersected with your life. And I guess I'd love to start with your with your company. You know, how do you describe Partake Foods to someone you've just met?
1: I always say that Partake Foods is a line of delicious, nutritious, allergy-friendly snacks.
0: Amazing, so concise. Uh, that's that's really awesome. And as I understand it, as I understand it, you started Partake after learning that your daughter had multiple food allergies. Can you walk me through? You know, what was that experience like?
1: Um, Very nerve-wracking. So my daughter Vivian is five now, but in 2016, around her first birthday, we had a really big scare with food allergies. She tried a snack that just had two ingredients, peanuts and corn, and immediately after biting into it, her lips began to swell, and her tongue began to swell up, and her lips were turning blue in our living room, and thank God we had EpiPens. We ended up having to administer two of them um, because she presented some signs that she would have food allergies early on like lots of eczema and, and just like some random occurrences that weren't so random and so we learned that she's actually allergic to most tree nuts eggs bananas and the trickiest one for us to manage is corn
0: Huh? because corn's in almost all american food especially processed food right
1: Yes, exactly. So all the corn derivatives, all the maltodextrin and the dextrose. And so it really creeps into all parts of your life, whether it's food or medicine or just toiletries, almost everything has corn in it, it seems.
0: That's that's super eye opening. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I think the point you bring up there is important that it's not just like if you have a corn allergy, for example, you can't just avoid eating corn on the cob and corn chips and you're all good because corn is the root of so many other things, you know, not just high fructose corn syrup, but all of these different kind of emulsifiers and stabilizers and flavor agents that are also derivatives of corn.
1: Exactly. And I didn't know that. I I think I was in your shoes just a few years ago where I knew very little about food allergies, That I had a crash course in the past few years.
0: Yeah. You know, quite literally, it sounds like a crash course that, you know, that definitely sounds scary. And, you know, it sounds like you had to get smart fast just to look after your daughter's health. You know, what sort of uh, misconceptions or, you know, what did you have to learn? Like, and what do you, what do you wish that more people knew about food allergies?
1: I wish they do the difference between allergies and intolerances because while I definitely understand intolerances and how much they can affect someone's life, like my husband's gluten intolerant and like if he has gluten, like it affects his mood and him physically, but that's not the same as someone having a life-threatening food allergy and oftentimes we find um, with the rise in intolerances as well, like we'll go out to dinner and the server will be like, oh yeah, I totally have an intolerant, like I'm totally allergic to wheat too, like it makes me constipated and my tummy hurts, I'm like, no, you don't understand like what (laughs) and so I wish that people understood the difference between a food allergy and an intolerance um definitely I I wish that people understood how common food allergies are you know I hadn't really thought about food allergies I'm in my mid-30s I feel like when I was growing up I maybe knew one kid in my entire childhood that had a a nut allergy but when I look at my daughter's classroom the the stat now is two kids in every classroom in America has a life threatening food allergy unfortunately Um, and I see it across her camp class and play dates in her classroom, and even with adults who have been eating things their whole life happily and now have all of a sudden presented with like a shellfish allergy or some sort of nut allergy, which is also really troubling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for, for folks that don't know, can you uh, just kind of clarify what is the difference between an allergy and an intolerance?
1: Sure. So a food allergy, um, they're typically IgE-mediated allergies where your body's immune system when you eat one of these allergens thinks that your body is attacking itself. And so some of the symptoms that would present would be swelling of the throat and of the lips so that you may potentially stop breathing, um, vomiting. Sometimes um, someone could go into shock. And so, you know, not every reaction, though, even if you do have an allergy to something, presents in that way. My daughter's allergic to bananas when she's had bananas a couple of times like she had hives and hopefully it would never be anything worse than that so that's the other tricky thing about food allergies you just never know how severe the response will be
0: yeah okay that's an important distinction as an allergy you're talking about a a, you know full-on bodily reaction to something as compared to it sounds like an intolerance like if someone says oh i have a gluten intolerance that could just mean like they get a stomach ache or they don't feel great after eating a loaf of bread Exactly. Okay. So important distinction between, oh, I don't feel great. And literally I have hives. I'm going into anaphylactic shock or something along mm-hmm. those lines. That's no, that's, that's a key distinction. I appreciate you you outlining that for folks. You know, why did you choose? I mean, you say you make, you make uh, snacks that are allergy friendly. So, you know, as I understand it, you started with cookies. Like how did you go about choosing, you know, a cookie as your core product? And, you know, walk me through what that development was like.
1: So I was at Coca-Cola working in their venturing and emerging brands group. And I'd been there for, for nearly a decade at Coca-Cola in, a, in that group for a couple of years. And right after that allergic reaction that my daughter had, our nanny, Martha, who actually has some equity in the company now, um, said, why is your daughter on the most boring diet ever? Like, she's like, all you give her is a quinoa and lean protein. And I was like, were you not here when she had a really scary reaction? Like, that's yeah. why cause I'm scared to give her anything else, like yeah. the stuff that I'm finding from a packaged food perspective, like all the fun cookies and crackers and things, um, you know, it, I didn't feel good about a lot of the allergy friendly options from a nutritional perspective. Cause I think in an effort to make the products taste quote unquote normal, there were lots of gums and stabilizers and, uh, processed, even more processed ingredients that were being included in those products. And then I was finding products that fit the bill nutritionally, but then they tasted exactly like you would expect a very healthy allergy friendly product to taste, <laughs> which wasn't necessarily amazing. Um, um, and then just from a brand perspective, while I was thankful that those brands provided a safe option for the millions of people who have food allergies, I didn't feel like they appealed to people outside of the food allergy community. Yeah. And when you have food allergies and or any type of dietary restriction, whether it's celiac or you're vegan or you're even gluten-free by choice, it really sucks when you can't participate in so many of the so- social events that make up our lives, whether it's holidays and birthday celebrations and parties. And I pictured my daughter growing up and not being able to join in on those and have, like, something she felt good about sharing and that she was excited to eat and what's more fun than a cookie. So we started there, but the goal is to expand beyond cookies into other snack items.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's huge. I, th- I think you bring up a such an important distinction that if you choose to cut something out, a lot of times it can feel like all you're left with are the really boring, not fun options. So I really appreciate that, that it's it's you're raising awareness that, look, if you're doing something for allergy's sake, that shouldn't mean you have to live a like joyless life, especially when it comes to food, which is such a great source of joy, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I no. feel like it brings people together and like a lot of the, the brands in the space and uh, historically focused on the things that weren't in the products and, and rightfully so because that's what a lot of people with food allergies are worried about. But our our goal is to focus more on the things that we did put into the products.
0: Yeah. Uh, totally, totally makes sense. It's interesting. I feel like sometimes in America, if you, if you choose to be cutting something out, whether it's like, Hey, I'm not drinking right now, or Hey, I actually don't eat meat anymore. It's, it's amazing how many like settings are suddenly like really hard to find something to eat, you know, or find something to do. Like you're almost like you stand out too much just because those things are so embedded. Like, uh, yeah, like drinking alcohol and eating meat and eating processed foods. It's like wedded into even like our holidays now. Right. Yes,
1: unfortunately.
0: Yeah. So, but it's, it sounds like, yeah, you're, you're trying to build a bridge to a world where someone like your daughter growing up wouldn't feel like an outcast for saying, hey, I have some allergies, but, you know, I, I still want to have fun. Mm-hmm. That, that's should- the goal. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's super important. You know, I think getting any business off the ground is hard work, but you've written really candidly and admirably, I think, on your Instagram about the challenges of getting dismissed as a mompreneur, which is a term I never heard that I love, you know, a mother entrepreneur, and also not t- being taken seriously as a woman of color in business. You know, what did these experiences teach you uh, about about business and kind of what advice do you have for other folks in that position?
1: Um, In terms of advice, I think lead with the numbers. There's some things that just don't wear a color or a gender or a a preconceived notion. And so if you're really focused on the metrics and can lead with that, oftentimes you can make that the center of your conversation rather than the fact that you're a mom who happens to be an entrepreneur or you're a person of color. Um, And then for me, it really... made me want to mentor and support other people who may be kind of the only, the only woman, the only black person, the only minority. And so, you know, we've instituted a program called Mentor Mondays at Partake where every week I mentor um, and continue to work with thereafter and coach um, up and coming food and beverage and consumer products entrepreneurs. And I just spend as much time as I I can kind of spare in working with other um, up and coming entrepreneurs because so many people did the same thing for me as we were working to build Partake and still do the same same thing for me because i'm gosh i'm still learning something new it seems like every day every hour even
0: yeah and, you know i've i've read that it's something crazy like point zero 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 six percent of vc funding goes to women of color which i think that stat is ludicrous and needs to change but you know can you share some stories about what, what was it like for you to get funding for partake
1: so we started Partake really with baby steps along the way. So in August of 2017, I left my career at Coke and we launched with three flavors of cookies and our grand launch was me pulling up to a climate controlled storage unit in, in my hometown of, or not hometown, but where I live in Jersey City and filling up the back of my SUV and self-distributing products to natural foods grocers across the city in Brooklyn and New Jersey. And I did that for nearly a year until the summer of 2018 when we got our first region of Whole Foods and we also brought on Wegmans. And at that point, we were like, okay, um, to support this, we'll need to raise a little bit of outside funding. And so we raised a small friends and family round and it was literally cobbling together 5,000 and $10,000 checks from old colleagues and friends and friends of friends. But we were able to use that money and continue to be really scrappy and then scale a bit more. And in 2019, we were able to close a seed round of funding that was led by Jay-Z's Marcy Venture Partners and they've been phenomenal partners. I'm so thankful for the investor group that we have and and that believe in our mission and are all about advancing the culture and making the world a better place. But to get to that, you know, I have the spreadsheet and I'm, I don't think I'll ever delete it. It has 86 no's from the various angel groups and individuals and early stage funds that I was pitching. And, you know, I don't think that all the no's were related to me being a woman or a mom or a person of color. There were definitely other factors. um, But it was hard it was really emotionally taxing yeah. cuz you go out and get no after no but you're still charged with running the business and performing at a high level so that you can be in a place that somebody else will want to invest in the company
0: yeah no i appreciate you sharing that it literally took 86 no's to get the funding that you ultimately needed you know what what are how do you how do you hear no that many times and keep going like what did you what did you, what was your self talk like to really get through that
1: as partake is so personal for me that I never considered giving up because I really believe that there's a need for the, our product because I see it in my daughter's life every day. Um, so, you know, it was definitely hard. And because it's so personal, it's hard not to take the nose personally. So uh, it's hard to take the n- hard not to take the nose personally Um, so those really did wear on me but I I just continued to to keep going and I think life has a funny way of like you know I would get really close to the end of the rope of like gosh this is so hard gosh how are we going to do this and then we would get another account or somebody else would write a check or somebody would say maybe call me back in a week and so we just continued to see signs positive signs uh, about the business that really inspired me to keep going.
0: Yeah that's 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 super awesome you know what do you think were some of the things you did right early on that allowed you to grow to where you are now i mean it sounds to me like one of them was just sheer persistence like you didn't let these early no's uh dissuade you but what were some other things you feel like looking back like hey i really nailed that i did that right and that allowed me to to keep going
1: I think being really scrappy. So I was the only full-time employee at Partake until January of this year, because for me, I didn't feel comfortable bringing other people into the fold with Partake being their like sole source of financial safety until I felt really sure about the business until I felt really sure that we were going to have the funding. But also that allowed me to keep my overhead really low and on really tight months. You know, I could cut back on a contractor we would work working with, or I could cut back on demos or there were levers that I could pull to keep our expenses at a really reasonable amount that allowed me to keep the business going, even if we were not to get the outside funding. Hmm.
0: That's that's really interesting. So keep it keep it kind of small scale and scrappy at first, so you can stay agile.
1: Yep, that's correct.
0: Awesome. That's that's interesting. That's something uh, we had a guy on, Dan from uh, from Regrained, in one of our early episodes, and he said something really interesting. That was like, for the first couple of years of running his business, he said he almost treated it more like a hobby. Like he didn't go all in early and that actually allowed him to kind of like slowly build up and not put too much pressure on himself early on. And I think that's like a really interesting paradigm that kind of runs counter to a lot of the advice you hear that, oh, you got to put all your chips on the table from day one. And it sounds like for you, you know, you, you took it a little bit more gradually and that, that patience kind of paid off.
1: I think so. It also gave us the time to, I could personally do a lot of demos and talk to consumers and learn what they liked about the product, what they didn't like about the product, why they were choosing to purchase the product, and really get close to the consumer so that we could iterate. Our packaging looks so different. Our flavor names look so different. There's so many things that are different about our company now from when we first launched. And had we gone really big day one, I don't know if we would have been able to touch those consumers as closely and hear that feedback and be able to make those changes.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like in some level, you, you also just pounded the pavement early, like you really got to know your core customer.
1: That is correct. So yeah, lots of time in the store, talking to store managers, talking yeah. to the grocery category managers, talking to consumers. And I think it's more effective than any like fancy focus group that I've that I've ever been a part of.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, this seems unrelated, but hear me out. I heard, um, I just watched this documentary about um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and her campaign uh, for Congress. And something she did was just had like a really deep ground game of just talking to her constituents in queens and the bronx and really getting to know people and like what their experience is like and what their problems are and what that meant was that when she went head to head with this establishment democrat like she really got the community in a way that this guy she was running against didn't and in a lot of ways like that just leveraged her advantages like she she was really attuned to real issues whereas he came across kind of aloof and tone deaf and out of touch and that and I, that just strikes me as like such an important lesson that We really all benefit from like really getting to know a problem in detail and not just kind of like assuming we know the answer, or like glossing over it, you know, like do the homework up front.
1: I agree completely. I think it's why so many emerging food and beverage brands are winning right now against the incumbents because they're really Mm. getting out there. They're really solving problems. They're listening to their consumers. They're making changes based on what their consumers want and need. And I think you see it in the way that the CPG landscape is unfolding.
0: Totally. Uh, That's something we really try to embrace early on at Imperfect as well that, you know, look like people are giving you feedback voluntarily every day on social media, in customer care calls. So, you know, you owe it to yourself and to them to, to listen, like they're giving you free advice. Like, that's gold. You know, you don't have to pay people for a focus group when in an Instagram comment, they might have a really great idea. You just you just have to listen. So, now, that's a huge, huge takeaway. I, you know, I think a lot of people are intimidated just by the idea of starting a business, and you did it while also being a mom, which is you know a huge undertaking of its own. You know, I'd be curious to hear what, what does work life balance mean to you.
1: Um, I like to call it work-life integration because I don't know that I have much balance. Like I'm doing a lot of momming and I'm doing a lot of working, but I try to do them um, together as much as possible. I mentioned that we were outside playing earlier. And so I, you know, we were in a small space and so I was able to bring my laptop out and get some emails done, but also kind of interact with my daughter. And then similarly, like when we were in a pre-COVID world, we had so many weekend trade shows that we were working, but I'd bring my daughter along. And, you know, similarly, like there's times where I may have to to leave the office a bit early because she had a program at school but that might mean I'd have to wake up a bit earlier to, to knock the work out because it's like I want my daughter and my family to know that I'm there for them but the business also needs me and so really just including the two and integrating the two and you know different days the priorities you know the seesaw goes different ways depending on the day but I think just fitting them both in and as together as much as possible is, is how I manage it.
0: Yeah. You know, do you have any advice for people with kids or who are thinking about having kids about how they can balance or maybe integrate is a better word, their career and family?
1: Um, I I think it really depends on a person by person on yeah. um, a person by person basis for us one things that's really important is like our whole family is invested I think it's really hard like if my husband wasn't supportive of what I was doing or my daughter didn't understand and wasn't involved in the business there might be some resentment from different like on different sides of things but I think mm. because my entire family is so invested in what we're doing it works well we all know that it's a lot of work and it's a big sacrifice but my daughter totally understands that we built the company for her and my husband believes in it and is like such a big cheerleader for the brand. And so I think that's one of the ways that we've made it, be, made it work for our family.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's super well said. You know, uh, talking about kind of, uh, you know, legacy and, and family and, and the platform you've built for yourself, you know, recently I've noticed you've been using your platform at Partake to shed light on black owned businesses and entrepreneurs out there. Uh, what spurred this decision for you?
1: So as timing would happen, it. We actually we were going into Target for a national launch um, the week of May 10th. And our plan to support the Target business, we'd had to pivot some because we knew we weren't going to be able to do a lot of the in-person events that we normally do, like the Veg Veg Fest and the gluten-free festivals of the world. And so we were like, well, we need to come up with something digital. And so we did the Spot Us at Target campaign, playing off the spots like polka dots on our box and the Target big spot kind of bullseye, and wanting to share the spotlight. And so we featured Should other women and minority-owned brands that are at Target, and then I think the country started to experience with with the death of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd this new racial reckoning that's going on, and so the timing was kind of serendipitous because we started to get a lot more um, amplification of our brand being one of the few nationally scaled Black-owned food brands in the country, and the timing. I was really excited to see from a, you know, we were featuring other brands at that point. So I'm hoping that the amplification of our brand was able to help support those brands as well. And I just think it's really important as a business person and just a citizen to do your part. And when you have privilege and you have a platform to amplify the platform of those that may not have as big of a platform as you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that's that's super important. I, I I love that I've seen that from your account, and I've actually seen it from a lot of different accounts recently on social media. That folks are basically providing like a fun buffet of, hey, if you care about these issues, here are some other folks to follow. Here's some businesses you should patronize. Here's some uh, resources that you should read like people are are being really generous in this kind of spiraling outward sense and i think mm-hmm. that's really important if, if people are earnest about and you know exploring these issues and ending some of these injustices like and you take all the resources you can get kind of like your earlier point like look people are giving you ideas for free like let's let's all listen up here mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, where you, you've you it seems like you forwarding the conversation about uh, race and food is is something that you 're passionate about and your your family is passionate about i'd be curious to hear your take on you know where do you hope to see this conversation about race and the food industry go in the future?
1: I hope that it continues until we see some meaningful change, and I think you know there's so many aspects and facets of the industry that I'd love to see change in um, from a diversity in leadership, whether it's at big CPG or in emerging food brands like my own, um, getting some more representation from all the different ethnic groups in the leadership ranks of various CPG companies. I think um, when you look at marketing and when you look at influencer partnerships, if when you look at what retailers are doing, you know, I think there's some onus on them to support brands founded by minorities and women and people from all facets of the world. And so I'm hoping that with the continued discussion that there will be change across the entire ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. But yeah, I I think it's important what you brought up. It has to include the the leadership question. It's not not enough to just have, well, let's have more visibility. It's like, let's talk about who's owning and leading these companies too. I think that's a really big point you made.
1: I saw someone on LinkedIn share the other day, um, make the hire or send the wire. And I think that is the way that we will see real change affected mm. when people start making hiring decisions and intentionally investing in and supporting with their dollars, um, companies and businesses that are either allies or that are black owned or minority owned. I think that's when we'll start to see really, um, some change.
0: Yeah. That's uh, No, that's really big. I, I think the, the old adage, you know, follow the money is like cliche at this point, but it's kind of, mm-hmm. it'll tell you a lot about our society. You know, the more I've learned and researched the racial wealth gap in this country, the more I've realized anyone that thinks we're an equal society is, is kidding themselves. If you actually look at, you know, follow the money, like who owns most of the, the businesses and the land and, uh, you know, the, the capital funds, it's it's white people. And it's funny, sometimes you'll hear this counter argument. Well, okay, but like, look at Jay-Z, like there's a black billionaire and it's amazing. And like what he's built is awesome. Awesome, but the other day I was curious about that, so I looked it up, and I found that there are six black billionaires in this country total. He is he is uh-huh. one sixth of the black billionaire population compared to you know hundreds of white billionaires. So even within the billionaire class, there's this like inequity, and I I feel like until we can actually have those type of conversations and follow the money and look at no like let's talk about what percentage of ownership stake is is equal or or unequal. Like yeah, we're not going to be able to solve these things. That's, that's super important.
1: I agree. And it's an uncomfortable conversation, which is hard. It's uncomfortable, I think, for anyone to talk about race, but it's, I feel like what has to be done for there to be real change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. it's, yeah, it is uncomfortable, but that's precisely why, why it's important. And, you know, push yourself, yeah, past the, the surface level stats and really follow the numbers and yeah, you end up learning a lot. You know, I, I'd be curious to bring, bring it home again here for a second, because I think your company is solving a really important problem that I think a lot of people are trying to solve on a micro level at home as well, which is, you know, how do you cook for someone with food allergies? And so I'd be curious to, to bring it home a bit and hear, how do you cook for your daughter just on a home level? And you know, what, what kind of tips or advice do you have for cooking for somebody who actually has pretty severe allergies at home?
1: Sure. So I will say that Vivian's allergies may have been a blessing in disguise for our family in terms of just being more health conscious because, you know, there's a ton of stuff she can eat, especially when it comes to like real whole food meals, nearly every lean protein. So whether that's fish or tofu or um, chicken or she does lots of quinoa. Um, she can have so many grains like rice and brown rice and quinoa and things like that. Um, and then nearly every fruit and vegetable. So I, I wish that I could take after her eating habits a bit more. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of great resources online. One of our favorite ones is an app called Spoken. And it's kind of like a Yelp for people with food allergies. So it tells you kind of the ins and outs and secrets on different travel destinations and restaurants, but also provide great content on a weekly basis. It's really seasonal. Like they did a piece on allergy, making your own allergy friendly popsicles at home, but then also a list of brands and what their facilities are like and what their allergen protocols are like. And so they've been an amazing resource for our family.
0: Well, wow, that's an amazing app. Definitely going to throw a link to that in the show notes. I think that, that's huge that, there, you know, again, there are resources out there for folks dealing with these issues. You know, a, another angle of I think a struggle I hear a lot from the imperfect community is uh, when you're cooking with kids, how do you reduce food waste? Because, you know, kids can be pretty picky and peculiar and, you know, you don't want to end up having to make like three meals just to get them to eat one. So I'm curious in your in your experience, like how have you reconciled that that need to cook for a young person, but also ideally, you know, not waste food?
1: You know, we have been lucky, knock on wood, that we haven't experienced that a ton with Vivian, but I think a lot of it's attributed to the fact that we started really early with her. So one, Mm. we got her, we get her involved in the kitchen, so she gets a chance to help make what she's going to eat. And so I think when kids can really get their hands dirty in the kitchen, they're a lot more excited about what they're eating. We also give her choices. I mean, they're usually all healthy choices, but it's like, you know, you can pick for dinner if you want salmon or if you want a veggie stir fry or if you want a pasta dish and so we let her make choices Uh, we get her involved and we also started when she was really young in terms of like expanding her palate I think I was eating like hamburgers and french fries and hot dogs for like the first seven years of my life whereas like my daughter will be like no I want sushi tonight or can we make this and so like trying to I may come back to bite me actually but I think um, yeah just like really trying to expose her to, to as many different safe foods as we can.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, I really respect that idea of like building good options early and then it's not a struggle. You don't have to like introduce them later if they're kind of part of the conversation from the beginning. Uh That's that's super interesting. You know, talking about your daughter, I'm curious to hear, um, you know, what type of legacy do you hope to leave for her with this uh, with this Partake business? Like what do you hope to build that, you know, someone like her can grow up and, and benefit from down the road?
1: Sure. So our goal, I look at brands like Annie's Organic and you can walk nearly every aisle of the grocery store. I think the last time I was in Target, they were now making ice cream sandwiches. Like I want for Partake to, for us to always stay true to the brand tenets of making products that taste good, that have ingredients you can actually understand and you feel good about sharing with your family, but that are also free of the top eight allergens and made in a top eight allergen free facility. So you can safely eat them if you have food allergies and you can feel comfortable sharing them with friends or family who may have food allergies or restrictions and then for Vivian personally like I hope that she sees that when you have a problem rather than sit and wallow in your sorrows although I did do that for a day or two you like actually (laughs) go out and take some action and you know I've seen like her entrepreneurial grow even like with her being a five-year-old and I think a lot of it's attributed to her seeing you know me staying up packing boxes and working trade shows on the weekends and so I ho- I'm hoping that she understands the sacrifice and hard work that comes with success but also that it can be done like I never imagined this is what I would be doing and here we are thriving.
0: Whoa that's really cool so she's already uh, kind of taking after you in a little bit it sounds like.
1: I think so. My husband's really tall and he didn't have pajamas the other day. And she was like, why doesn't daddy have pajamas like us? And I was like, well, it's hard to find pajamas for tall people. And she was like, we should start a company. And I thought she had (laughs) forgotten about it. And later that evening, she was like, do you think you can get my company on TV? And I was like, whoa.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. You're wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Literally inspiring the next generation of problem solvers right there. Uh, I'm curious. I'll I'll keep tabs on her big and tall pajama company if it uh, takes (laughs) takes light or not.
1: (laughs) I will keep
0: you posted. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, this has been a super interesting uh, conversation. You know, what, a, what a cool journey you've been on. I'd love to uh, d- get into our closer questions in the speed round. You ready to go? I think so. All right. These are just some fun ones to bring us home and let folks get to know you a little bit better and hopefully get some fun resources as, as well. Uh, first one is, is there anything you'd encourage folks listening to follow up with or explore in more depth on their own time?
1: Sure thing. So if you'd like to learn more about food allergies or living with food allergies, some resources we like are the Spoken app, S-P-O-K-I-N, and the Food Equality Initiative, who provide their nonprofit that provides um, food to food insecure families dealing with food allergies.
0: Awesome. And what's a positive change you've made in your life in the past year that you think folks should try?
1: Started meditation. My dad been, had, had been extolling the benefits of it for so long. I was like, eh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's for me. And I'm so much more productive and more calm than I had ever been.
0: Whoa. Amazing. Super, super important. It sounds like you've got a lot going on, too. So I'd imagine that really helps kind of keep things uh, straight and organized as, as best you can.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Awesome. And if you're cooking for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them?
1: Um, I like spaghetti, I can do like different dietary restrictions, like I can go heavy with the veggies, or I can do like bonzo chickpea pasta if they're gluten free, but I I like pasta dishes, like really hearty pasta dishes.
0: Awesome. And what ingredient could you not live without?
1: Rice. My mom's Korean, and I grew up eating rice like three meals a day, and I can do anything with rice. So we eat a lot of rice in our family, white rice, brown rice, like wild rice, all kinds of rice.
0: Amazing. Is there for you, is there um, a dish that you associate with your mom's cooking growing up?
1: um kimchi soup i mm. every time i would get like a really bad cold or get sick she would make it and i find myself like craving it. my cooking is nowhere nearly as good as hers but thankfully we're in, in new york where there's really good authentic korean food and so i'm able to to get takeout whenever i'm not feeling well but yeah anything with kimchi in it makes me think of my mom
0: oh amazing that Sounds that sounds really delightful uh and what is your least favorite thing to waste
1: um, broccoli stalks. It really bothers me like the, like the, stalk, not the like the, you know, everyone eats the florette and then no one yeah. ever wants to do anything with like the stem. And I hate to see those go to waste.
0: You're, you're speaking my language over here. We we did a whole push around that at Imperfect, you know, talking about root to leaf cooking and yeah, the stem of the broccoli is so overlooked and there's lots of nutrients and flavor. You just got to know what to do with it. You know, I, while we're plugging broccoli stems, what do you, what do you like to do with them at home?
1: I make a saw I just like blend them up in like a broccoli-ish pesto and like with that, whatever other random vegetables we have, a lot of like green vegetables that we have. But now I'm gonna check out the content that you guys put out about what to do with them because I need some more ideas. I'm growing a wary on the ideas I have with them and we eat a lot of broccoli and no one else seems to care about the stems in my house.
0: Yeah, we. Uh, I'll just rattle off three things real quick because I, I remember writing this a couple years ago. One was we did like a broccoli stem hummus. It just like, again, yeah, like Ooh. you said, blitzing them with like chickpea and garlic and kind of making a hummus that way. Uh, I think another one we did was like shredded into veggie fritters. Just make oh, that's like a, such a, a good idea. Yeah, like a quick veggie pancake. Imagine just like riffing on a latka. You know, it's like, again, like a fritter mm-hmm. is a great way to use up odds and ends like that and what was the other one? Oh, i mean quick pickling them i think is good i think because they're a brassica you got to give them a little bit of extra whether that's spices or salt or you know something just to oomph up the flavor because they're kind of sulfurous but but a quick pickled, like you can do the same with charred stems too and i think it's just like a fun oh. way to give them a new life
1: I appreciate the inspiration. Thank
0: you. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I love that you brought that up because that's there's such an unsung hero and unsung part of this vegetable that so many of us are buying for the health benefits and then tragically composting because we don't know what to do with
1: it. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your go-to karaoke song?
1: Beyonce, crazy in love.
0: Oh, wow. That is a classic. I, yeah, I saw her live. What was that last summer? And it was like, yeah, life-changing. I can't wait to go to concerts again. I know that's definitely something. You know, we're recording this in July of 2020. And that's definitely something I've begun to realize. Like, wow, that was we didn't know how good we had it going to live oh, music. Took that for
1: granted.
0: <laughs> we totally took that for granted. Yeah, no, totally. Um, who is somebody you'd admire tremendously, and what do you admire about them?
1: Um, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, she bootstrapped that company into a billion dollar business and similarly in the food space, Hamdi Ulukaya, the founder of Chibani We were fortunate enough to be on the part of the Chibani Incubator and their mission of bringing better food to more people is something that just rings so true to me and the support that they provide to the emerging food and beverage community I think is so admirable.
0: Yeah, that's really great. I think I heard an episode of the podcast, How I Built This with the, what's it, Sarah Blakely, is that right, or Bankley? Yeah, that's her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, with uh, the founder of Spanx. And what really struck me about that is it's another one of these stories, actually really similar to yours, that it was someone that knew the problem she was trying to solve better than conventional wisdom did and so she was uniquely qualified and passionate to just say no no i'm going to do this because the market is not doing it like there was it's again as i understood it it was like a bunch of kind of tone deaf men in rooms trying to design women's clothing and she said no this is ridiculous you don't know what women are actually going through like I'm gonna build a problem or I'm gonna build a product rather that actually solves a problem and just doesn't just like pay lip service to it And I thought that was such a valuable lesson for anyone whether you're an entrepreneur or not like if you know the problem uniquely well like you're qualified to solve it and don't let anyone tell you otherwise
1: exactly a hundred percent
0: yeah, no, she's awesome. Definitely would recommend folks listening to that podcast. Check, check out her work. And I'll definitely add uh, the, the Chibani, uh founder as well to the show notes. That's, that's super cool and, and great you guys are associated with them. Uh, finally here, uh, what are you grateful for this week?
1: health. I think given what's going on around this country right now, living through the the pandemic that is COVID-19, I'm so thankful that my family and myself have been able to maintain our good health, and I think it's something that sometimes we, we take for granted, and maybe hopefully the situation will have all of us, you know, taking our, our health and kind of the simpler things for, for not taking those for granted anymore and really appreciating them.
0: Absolutely. super well said. Uh, Denise, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do?
1: Sure. So you can check out Partake Foods. uh, That's foods with an S um, is our website. And then you can find us across social on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn at Partake Foods. And then I'm on LinkedIn as well.
0: Awesome. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in the show notes and on our website. That's the whole That's our fun content site where this episode as well as all of our podcast episodes live. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. Uh, Denise Woodard, thank you so much. This
1: has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Riley. Take care.